Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, and the refugee crisis as a result is shaping up to be a huge concern. This week, the United Nations said that more than one million people have already fled since Russia began invading last week, and the numbers are expected to just keep rising. Here in the United States, the Department of Homeland Security said that they will grant temporary legal status to Ukrainians living in the U.S. They'll extend that for 18 more months. The good news right now is that Europe is also opening its doors when they had been more reluctant in situations past. For more on how Europe and the U.S. are handling the influx of Ukrainians, we'll speak to Laura Jakes, diplomatic correspondent at the New York Times. When all is said and done, it could bring as many as 4 million Ukrainians outside of their country looking for some kind of shelter or refuge from this invasion. And universally, people are welcoming these border countries' acceptance of the Ukrainian people. Refugees need to be taken care of. I don't think anybody disputes that. So while we are seeing that happen today with the Ukrainian refugees, that's not what happened in 2015, for example, when a mass of people from Syria, elsewhere in the Middle East, and even in Africa were trying to get some refuge in in Europe. And these countries basically closed the door on them. Yeah, and it's a very interesting situation where, you know, we're hearing from some of these other leaders of these other countries and uh, in particular, uh, I guess he was the chancellor of uh, Austria. He said, you know, this is more of a neighborhood thing, neighborhood help. You know, there are neighboring countries right here. That's why we're more willing to take them in right now. Right. So there are a couple of things at play here, and it's not for me to judge what is true and, and what is not. But it is absolutely the case that some geopolitical strategy is happening in the way that these Eastern European or byway countries that have in their history had to suffer some of the Soviet Union's invasions or atrocities that resulted in mass migrant or refugee crises, that this is a way for them to push back on that policy that we're seeing now, that they have done this in the past. In 1956, there was a Hungarian refugee crisis. Austria took in very many of those people, tens if not hundreds of thousands of people, in Czechoslovakia, a similar uprising was crushed by the Soviet Union, which caused a refugee wave. And these countries have historically taken in refugees that were forcing their homes as a direct result of Russian or, or Soviet atrocities. It is also true that the people, the Ukrainians who are being taken in by these countries now are white. They are Christian. They are European. Even some of these leaders say that they are more willing to take in people who are fellow Europeans than they are from other parts of the country. But we've seen over the last several years, especially we saw it manifest in the 2015 crisis, a sense of xenophobia, a sense of otherism, a sense of nativism in countries that did not want to take in people who didn't look like them, who had different cultures. Some of the argument at that time was that this influx, um, and I think something like 1.3 million people sought asylum in Europe from the Middle East and Africa in 2015 and 2016. And, and yes, that stretched a lot of these European budgets. 
These were people who needed shelter, food, education, health care, and not all these countries were able to provide that. And it created this backlash of nativism in some of these countries. We're talking about how a lot of these countries are starting to accept Ukrainians as refugees through all this. We heard Airbnb is going to be offering free housing to 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. What is the U.S. doing in response to all this? Obviously, it's a lot harder for them to come all the way to the United States. That's why they're obviously settling in some of the nearby countries in the hopes that they can return home later. But what is the Biden administration doing on this front? Well, the Biden administration thinks that this is a crisis that will be mostly limited to Europe's borders. And the deputy high commissioner for refugee for the United Nations, Kelly Clements, I interviewed her today. She said it was so localized at this point that most of the Ukrainians are trying to stay close to their border, that even if they come into Poland and Moldova, that they want to stay close to the border so that they can go back into Ukraine and go back to their homes as soon as they're able to. That's going to depend largely on how long the fighting lasts or whether their homes exist So at the time that the fighting is over. But at this point, the Biden administration is sending tens of millions of dollars in humanitarian aid to refugee agencies, to the U.N., to other relief organizations and NGOs. But they are not at this point going to create any kind of separate channel to allow Ukrainians into the United States, much in the way that was created for something like 75,000 Afghans who were taken in by the United States after Kabul fell through the Taliban in August. They're considering creating a special pathway to temporary permanent residency in the United States for Ukrainians who may already be here, but whose visas might run out in a matter of months. These could be students, these could be workers, these could even be tourists or relatives who are in the United States visiting. And certainly there's a discussion that these people should not be sent back to a war zone, even if their visas expire. And so there may be a pathway to let them stay and not be deported. Well, this is going to be the ongoing issue, depending on how bad the violence gets, how long this whole thing lasts. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye out what happens with these Ukrainian refugees. Laura Jakes, diplomatic correspondent at New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're seeing cases of COVID dropping and mask mandates starting to go away. And it does seem that we're finally moving on to this next phase of the pandemic. But how many people have actually been infected with the coronavirus? A new analysis of blood tests that reveal antibodies from infections estimates that 140 million people have come down with it. That's 43% of the country that has had a natural infection. For more on this and how a majority of children have also been infected, we'll speak to Dan Keating, health reporter at The Washington Post. So this analysis that was just released on Monday is part of what's called their sero prevalence surveillance. So seroprevalence refers to how prevalent or how frequent antibodies are in people's systems. So this is not based on getting tested for COVID or knowing you had COVID or states reporting COVID cases. This is just 72,000 samples of blood that was collected for reasons other than COVID. So someone went for a medical checkup or they were getting medical care done for them, whatever reason blood was drawn. The CDC contracts with those big blood laboratory companies in the country. And when they do the regular blood testing, they also will do an antibody test and then hand the results over to CDC. Not with the person's identifying information, but it just has like age and state. So then the CDC can figure out just from this big sample uh, about how 
what proportion of people in the country have had COVID. So what this means is you had enough COVID that your bloodstream has antibodies. So it doesn't mean that you were just exposed and maybe got it in your nose, but never caught it. It means your body developed an immunological response and it's in your bloodstream. But it doesn't mean this test is only for presence. So it doesn't measure like how many antibodies are in your bloodstream. So it's not saying, oh, you are protected or not. It's just saying you've had COVID at some time. It could have been an asymptomatic case that you never knew about. You could have had COVID three times or one time. It just means you've had COVID at least once and it does not include people who are vaccinated. So it means you actually have the natural antibodies, not the vaccine antibodies. And that's, you know, really interesting when we start talking about things like herd immunity and and whatnot. Obviously, early on when vaccines were starting to roll out, they said they wanted to get about 75 percent of people vaccinated so we can get to that herd immunity number. Obviously, that we didn't reach those numbers, but that coupled with people getting natural immunity, are we seeing more protection out there? In this study only looks at natural immune antibodies. There's a separate study that looked at it, whether you had either natural immunity antibodies or vaccine antibodies. That study, as of November, found that over 90% of adults had reinfections. Big wave of COVID was last year around December, January. And then six months later, is when the giant Delta wave appeared. And then six months later is when the giant Omicron wave appeared. So it turns out that having had one of those infections in winter of 2021 didn't really prevent you from getting COVID or the previous ones didn't really help you when Omicron came. And unfortunately, even vaccines, especially if the vaccine or the booster was more than five or six months ago, offers less protection than a fresh one does. So That idea of herd immunity, they're not even talking about that anymore because COVID's ability to do reinfections for people who've had an infection or breakthrough infections for people who've had vaccines have really kind of made herd immunity not very relevant. You're listening to The Daily Dive, Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez and we'll be right back. Dr. Gorka here and you know me. Don't forget to check out The Daily Dive Monday through Friday for more news without the noise. This week, President Biden also took to the podium to deliver his State of the Union speech, and he tried to strike a tone of unity during that. And at key points, it seems he succeeded. Speaking about the country's support for the Ukrainian people and opposition to Putin's invasion, Biden received applause from both sides of the aisle. He later highlighted issues that do garner bipartisan support, like fixing the opioid epidemic, funding the police, mental health and fighting cancer. The Republican response focused on what we might be seeing in the midterm elections, a focus on parents and education and hammering Biden on inflation. For more on all this, we'll speak to Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. There was a big show of support from both sides of the aisle for Ukraine. I mean, you saw a lot of lawmakers wearing royal blue and yellow, as well as the Ukrainian sunflower. You saw Ukrainian flags. You saw First Lady Jill Biden have the U.S., the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States as her guest. So that was a major moment. And you're right, Oscar, it's very rare that you see these moments of bipartisan applause, but it absolutely shows really where we are at this moment when it comes to the issue of uh, Russia invading Ukraine. He particularly got some uh, a good applause when he said that he was going to start going after the Russian oligarchs and creating kind of a new commission to to investigate them, see where the money's going, all that, seize their assets, including their yachts. You know, that was a, a particularly uh, a good moment there for him as well. 
in terms of the Russian oligarchs, um, there are obviously a number of Russian oligarchs living in the United States, as well as other Western nations, including the United Kingdom. And this is something that Western nations have really been trying to stake out is going, you know, against these oligarchs, because we know that, you know, they are very much connected to Putin, very much controls them. And they have a big stake in Russian wealth and the Russian economy. So that's a big portion of this. And I think that's, a, you know, something that lawmakers on both sides of the aisle really want to see happen in this. And there is not an appetite for you know, involvement in a foreign conflict at this moment. Additionally, we know that the Biden administration has faced a lot of backlash for their involvement in that chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. So this is how I think this is how we're going to see the West really respond. Russia is through these oligarchs, but also through sending military aid to Ukraine and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. We're already seeing that happen. We did see the president speak Republicans language on a few issues, most notably when it started, he started talking about, you know, the pandemic a little bit, you know, saying how he wants to keep businesses and schools open. And yeah, obviously the CDC said change their guidance on mask wearing. Defund the police came up. He said we shouldn't be defunding the police. We should be funding them. And that's another moment where GOP leaders stood up and started applauding as well. There was a list of issues that he said we can get this stuff done. Mental health was one of them, uh, fighting the opioid crisis. He tried to make as much common ground as he could. Absolutely. And on that issue of funding the police, this is something for a while that Biden and really his side of the Democratic Party have been pushing for. We know that in the summer of 2020 and you know going into 2021, there were lots of calls to defund the police um, as a means of dealing with this awful epidemic of police violence against unarmed black Americans. However, I think there is another you know, side of this argument that would say it's not that we need to take funding away from police. We need to make sure they're getting that proper training. They're getting proper bias training. And there are also, you know, departments are removing police officers who are exhibiting poor behavior or, you know, harmful behavior from their ranks. So I think that's something that Biden is pushing for. We are seeing crime rise across the country. And from his perspective, from Biden's perspective, the only way to deal with that is to make sure police officers have the resources to deal with that. Now, liberals would say that should be done by funding community centers and other parts of local government. But this is very much Biden pushing back against that Republican messaging point that Democrats want to defund the police. We saw that Republicans made gains in the House of Representatives in 2020 by tying Democratic incumbents and candidates to this message of defund the police, and it appeared to work. Coronavirus, obviously a, a huge issue. Really, the president kind of saying we're moving into this next phase now. Obviously, you saw most of the people in the chamber not wearing masks anymore, a marked change from what happened last year. And he laid out some four main goals that he wanted to do to help with this. Uh, obviously, he wants to continue vaccinations, continue vaccinations worldwide. Uh, something brand new, uh, a new test to treat initiative, which which I think was, it would be really good. Basically, if you go to certain pharmacies or clinics and you test positive, they'll be able to give you these antiviral pills that have been shown, proven to work against COVID and keep you out of the hospital. You can get those on the spot. And, you know, that's something that obviously we needed to wait for those pills to be available. But man, is that a good idea? 
It is a good idea, and I think this is something you're going to see the administration and Democrats tout as some of their major accomplishments when it comes to COVID going into the midterms. We know that Republicans have very much been messaging on this issue of Democrats being hypocritical when it comes to coronavirus restrictions. Um, And you even saw that messaging during the State of the Union last night with a lot of Republicans saying, well, Biden was in a mask last week. Why is he suddenly not in a mask now? Clearly, this is all about political theater and wanting to make a political point and wanting to benefit off of not wearing a mask. Now, I will point out that the Washington, D.C. mask mandate was rolled back yesterday. We've seen a lot of restrictions in the city, including on Capitol Hill, have been lifted. So that was part of that. But it goes into how restrictions are really playing these, you know, maybe the case of rolling back restrictions are playing into the narrative when it comes to the debate over the coronavirus in the political realm. President Biden did take time to talk about other parts of his agenda, maybe that Republicans don't necessarily like uh, the Build Back Better plan, although we're not calling it that anymore. That's not the name of it. So he didn't mention it in that sense of it that way. But some of the things that he wanted to get done through that, he mentioned, he also talked a lot about infrastructure and those other things. He did. And, um, you know, when it comes to Build Back Better, I think he's walking a fine line, obviously wanting to appease those progressives and members of his party that want those those initiatives in that government spending package, whether that's lowering prescription drug costs or providing affordable or free child care, a universal preschool, that kind of a thing. So he's talking about how he wants to get really the meat of Build Back Better passed, but not in the same package as Build Back Better, because we know that Joe Manchin in particular, who interestingly was sitting with Republicans last night, was really a thorn in the administration's and Democrat side on this. And, you know, a member of his own party was the reason, Manchin, was the reason why Biden couldn't pass that legislative achievement. I did want to mention the Republican response. This was delivered by Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa and really pushed back on a lot of the things that President Biden said and kind of set the stage for a lot of the stuff we're going to be seeing in the midterms. She did talk about Ukraine and Russia and said that he wasn't hasn't been as strong. He's been showing a lot of weakness, you know, just to push back on that a little bit. The United States is not the he's not the president of the world. A lot of these actions need to be done in conjunction with our European allies. When you talk about taking them out of uh, taking Russia out of SWIFT or big sanctions on oil and gas. I mean, those economies are tied to that so much more than we are. That has to be done with their approval. It's not like President Biden can just declare it and it's going to happen. So there's a little bit of pushback there. But one of the big messages that we did see was. Republicans being pro-parent. Republicans believe that parents matter when it comes to education. And that's going to be a huge one when it comes to the midterms. Absolutely. That's what the main point that Republicans have been making, especially in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. You saw that really work well in Virginia and in New Jersey to some extent. And you're trying you're seeing them really taking a page out of that playbook going into the midterms. I think there's a question as to whether, you know, how this pro parent messaging will work at the federal level. Obviously, Glenn Youngkin, as Virginia's governor, has a lot more say in the Virginia school systems than maybe a member of Congress does, for example. However, you're seeing the Republicans message on this by saying Democrats are beholden to teachers unions. They're beholden to this idea of being, quote unquote, woke and wanting to 
be fashionable, if you will, or trendy or when they're talking about these issues in the classroom. So this is something you're going to continue to hear from Republicans going forward. It seems that Democrats haven't really formulated the best response yet. They're still trying to figure out how to very much push back against this education problem. But it seems to be working with Republicans who are really appeasing or trying to appease parents who are frustrated with, you know, their kids being out of school or being virtual and, you know, being held back or being behind in their education because of these policies. Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez and we'll be right back. Hey guys, pardon the advertising interruption to your radio program. Do yourself a favor and don't touch that dial. That's a mistake. It's Sue Cox. Doctors around the world are reporting that patients are coming in with the sudden onset of Tourette's-like tics. Particularly, they're seeing more teenage girls, which do not fit the typical profile of someone with Tourette's. And more interesting, many of them seem to share the same outburst, leading some to believe that social media could be behind it. Theories have gone around suggesting it could be mass psychogenic illness or another condition called functional neurological disorder. For more on what could be behind these new style ticks, we'll speak to Helen Lewis, staff writer at The Atlantic. The typical Tourette's patient is a, is a boy who presents for the first time about age five to seven with very simple vocalizations or motor tics, so blinking or coughing. So, you know, that's the kind of person that these Tourette specialists, pediatric Tourette specialists, are used to seeing a lot of. And then as time goes on, often their, their tics will, will develop. And, you know, the kind of sh- sort of swearing and cursing and um, saying socially unacceptable things, that's, that's only about a fifth of people actually do that. You know, it's, the, it's one of the things that you most associate with the illness because it's one of the things that's most kind of eye-catching. But um, it's, it's not actually something that everybody with, with Tourette's does. But this new population were different. You know, they were arriving over the last couple of years in, in these clinics. And, you know, in some cases, they'd had mild tics before and now they were having sort of sudden explosive attacks of tics. Or in some cases, you know, they hadn't got a history at all and they'd, they'd kind of come out of nowhere. And one of the things that was most telling to me when I talked to the German doctors about this is that, you know, some of the specific phrases that some of these mostly girls were saying were ones that they associated with, you know, people, influencers on the internet, Tourette's influencers, as I call them. So it wasn't that hard to kind of trace back to the kind of content they might be watching a lot of on the internet. Yeah. And that was the thing that clicked for the doctors is that commonality, right? They were developing these things later in life. They were saying a lot of the same phrases and actions. And that's the thing that was clicking for them. And a lot of this stuff was being done. A lot of this early work was being done in Germany where the doctors were seeing some of this specific stuff happening. Yeah, there's um, an influencer who's very big on YouTube called Jan Zimmerman, and he's got these very specific vocalizations. So he'll say fliegende high, which means flying sharks, or du bist hasslich, which means you're ugly. And these were the exact same phrases that were coming out of the, the mouths of teenagers. Actually, it's about 50-50 gender split in, in Germany, although almost everywhere else in the world, it's been more girls than boys. So they would obviously ask the children, you know, have you been watching this influencer. And lots of them would be really cagey about it, actually. And that was an interesting dynamic that they found too. And the thesis that I develop in the piece is really that talking about children who have had a really rough couple of years, you know, lots of COVID disrupted schooling, lots of worry about the pandemic. Some of them might live in families where people have lost jobs or been laid off or been on furlough or other kinds of things. And, and, and what I hope people get from this article is a level of sympathy. You know, these, I would just be absolutely clear about this. These children are not faking an illness. 
these teenagers have something that is causing them quite severe distress. It's just quite important to say that yeah. it doesn't look like Tourette's and it shouldn't be treated like Tourette's. No one's arguing that the pandemic caused this, but the lockdowns and all that could have exacerbated this stuff, especially when people are going on social media. As you mentioned, this uh, uh, Zimmerman uh, fellow had two million YouTube followers. And when you go to uh, TikTok, I mean, there's billions of views for hashtag Tourette's and things like that. So, I mean, this is where people that might be afflicted with something like this or feel these new style tics. They find community with others and acceptance and validation, and then that could promote more of it happening. There are also other theories of what's going on, something called mass psychogenic illness. And there was an interesting thing that happened in Leroy, New York, that really started getting people thinking a different way about all this. Yeah, so what happened in Leroy is that a, a group of girls suddenly started sort of shaking and spasming and twitching. And there was a you know, it was a big, as, as often happens in these cases, there were lots of cheerleaders involved, although there were also, you know, they weren't all in the same class, which is what you would classically see with an outbreak of kind of contagious ticks of that kind. And the, the sad thing about what happened in Leroy was that the, the families were absolutely convinced there was some kind of environmental problem. Erin Brockovich, you might remember from being played by Julia Roberts, turned right. up, you know, to try and, and prosecute this thesis. But there, there wasn't anything happening. You know, what had happened was that these girls had got quite stressful lives in a number of different ways. And they had had this effect on each other. And as you say, the diagnosis is mass psychogenic illness. That used to be called mass hysteria. But that's now seen as a kind of outdated and offensive term because this isn't about silly women, you know, creating something out of nothing. This is about very real psychic stress in people's lives kind of coming out of them in physical symptoms. Yeah. And in that case, there was about uh, 18 people that developed some of this, uh, mostly, as you mentioned, the cheerleaders. There was one boy, there was also a 36 year old woman. And there was a lot of media attention, as you mentioned, all of this kind of amps up that stress. And a lot of it started going away once the story started dying down. So that kind of led them to believe, you know, there was no environmental thing there. It, you know, it wasn't a more serious, nefarious thing going on. Right. And I think it's one of the things that people maybe have difficulty understanding is that when you talk about things being mass psychogenic illnesses, you're not saying there's there's nothing wrong with people. You're saying perhaps it's just not the thing that you might superficially think. And you know, that applies to lots of other things. Gulf War syndrome, for example, when you had soldiers who came back from the Gulf War and wondered if there'd been some kind of munition that had been used against them. But actually, it was now what we'd call post-traumatic stress syndrome. Lots of the cases of Havana syndrome, where there's, there's been talk about this being a sort of sonic weapon that's been used on diplomats. Well, the army has now come out and said there are a handful of unexplained cases, but we feel pretty confident about saying that the rest of them are, fall into this category of psychological and social illness. So it's, you know, it's something that happens a lot through history. You can put down the kind of, you know, the Salem witch hunts to, down to, to something like this. It's, you know, it's extraordinary. I, there was so much stuff I had to cut out of the article, so <laughs> right. much interesting research. Benjamin Franklin used to go around with this musical instrument called a glass harmonica. And people decided that it was causing all these terrible symptoms and people were fainting. And of course, he played it until a pretty ripe old age with absolutely no ill effects at all. But it was a new technology. And that in itself seems to have provoked some kind of you know, adverse reaction in some people. So is the new argument that what we were seeing in these situations with these teenage girls developing these tics, is it a form of mass psychogenic illness because they're consuming so much of this on social media, on platforms like TikTok and so forth? Or is it something else? Uh, you know, others call these things functional tics, you know, which is 
just kind of things that kind of get exacerbated by other influences is, you know, where, where are we leaning towards now with the argument? The fact is that there are some patients for whom simply saying, you know, this is not Tourette's, this is something that is being really wound up in you by consuming this kind of content, dial down on watching that. That makes, you know, not sometimes makes the problem go away, sometimes really diminishes it. So there are definitely patients who fall into that category. There might be other ones who do have something like mild Tourette, something they call people perhaps who are tick prone, you know, in the same way that some of us are prone to stress eating, for example. And, you know, most of the time it's we're, we're uncontrolled, but you have a really stressful life event and suddenly you can't kind of get your face out of the fridge. And the similar thing might happen with ticks. You know, you might be somebody who is who is prone to reacting to stress or trauma in that way. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to make blanket diagnosis about individuals, but certainly the Tourette's Association of America, and I think this is really important, has tried to distinguish between these new style tics and classic Tourette's, not least because one of the ways you treat Tourette's is with antipsychotic drugs, really quite strong drugs. And they are useless on, on, on functional tics, on ones that are not caused by Tourette's. So you absolutely don't want to be prescribing those to under 18s unless they're medically necessary. So although, you know, it will cause a bit of a backlash, I'm sure to say you don't have the condition that you think you do. That's something that needs to be said so that people don't end up getting the wrong treatment. Right. And so what is, uh, has there been any type of treatment for the new style ticks? Obviously, we're not going to give them the drugs or anything, but is it, uh, is it counseling? Is it therapy? I mean, what are they, how do they try to treat this at least? Right. They try and look at people in, in the round and see what else is going on in their lives. And for some people that might be, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. There are types of retraining because, you know, if you see the idea is that the ticks are kind of giving people something, they're giving people an outlet for something. Well, actually, how can you retrain the pathways of the brain in order that you, you don't do that anymore? You don't put yourself into a kind of feedback loop. For some of them, medication for anxiety or depression might be appropriate. For others, it might be about talking therapies. But what it means is just making sure that, you know, the people who've got these tics get the right treatment. And right. that often involves steering them away from the wrong treatment. Helen Lewis, staff writer. Choice Hotels. Econo Lodge and Roadway Inn Hotels are serving up double points for every qualifying stay. Book at choicehotels.com. Now, here's the man who's been recognized as radio's best. The recipient of not one, but two prestigious Marconi Awards for his broadcast excellence. The one and only, Bill Cunningham. Hi, right, Billy Cunningham, the great American. Welcome this uh, rather rainy and cold Sunday night in the tri-state and throughout the nation. I tell you what, uh, Things are getting worse, as some have predicted, to the last 11 days. Tomorrow begins the 12th day of the invasion of an innocent group of uh, Ukrainians at the hands of, of, uh, of Vladimir Putin and the Russians. And one would think it's almost like a jilted lover that if I can't have you, then nobody's going to have you. It's like a murder-suicide going on. It is a murder-suicide because in the long run, I think you and I understand and know that if Russia truly impacts this war as they want to do over the next uh, several days and weeks. Ultimately, they're going to win. But then what do you win when the Ukrainian people will arise and fight like warrior poets? Some of the headlines of the Drudge Report tonight include Biden goes to church as war drums pound, working with Poland to send jets. 
Also, Moscow can still negotiate. Captured Russian soldiers condemn the invasion to TV cameras. And nuke experts fear what's to come, as I do. Israel steps up, trying to do their part. And looking overnight, oil has now gone north of $130 a barrel. Biden plans a trip to Saudi Arabia. Putin has lost 1,000 Russian soldiers in a day. But victory may not be inevitable. It may be inevitable. I'm not sure. It's un- it's unbelievable how we got ourselves in this situation. And most Americans believe, about 65%, that if Donald Trump was still in the White House, none of this would be going on. It's happening, and it began in March or April of last year when troops began to uh, form around Ukraine. And uh, Putin thought, this is my chance. I got a, I got a feckless fool in the White House who's not mentally alert. He spends most of his weekends maybe with the tens and depends in uh, Delaware. And uh, the foreign policy of this country is in the hands of the most foolish individuals one could ever imagine. When I look at Anthony Blinken, I look at Biden, I look at Kamala Harris, look at Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Are you kidding me? They're in charge of the national policy of this country, and every day it gets worse. Having read as much as I can to get ready for tonight's show, it's fairly obvious that March, April, and May of last year this thing began right after Trump left office. And uh, it was believed by Putin at the time, I don't have to pull an Aleppo, don't have to pull a Grozny. Uh, what I got to do is do a similar Republic of Georgia or, or Kazakhstan, and maybe that will simply collapse. By that, I mean, let's put 150,000 Russian soldiers and scare the crap out of Zelensky and the Ukrainians. And Zelensky is going to leave. He's going to go to Poland, and then I'll install a puppet government that the people voted out about four years ago. And then I'm going to have control of the Ukraine and their wheat and their oil reserves quickly because I want to get my band back together. That was the plan. And it was thought over the next several months that uh, actually Putin would not invade Ukraine. When I told you months ago, he's going to do exactly what he said he would do, which is take back Ukraine by any means necessary, taking the long view. He's going to destroy the place. This is a murder-suicide in his mind. Because at the end of the day, Vladimir Putin, whether it's the end of this year or next year, will either not be in office or be dead. It's a, he's going to kill the Ukraine, and as a consequence, he will have suicide inflicted upon him. I'll explain that later. I could not explain how in the world Putin could look at this thing the way it's developed the past uh, 12 days and say, I'll take that right there. He cannot win in the long run. He will break Ukraine's cities, but never, ever break their spirit. Uh, I think there's, there's four quarters in this one. The first quarter is going on right now. Russia invades the Ukraine, and after another month or two with heavy casualties, takes it over. I'm not sure that's going to happen now, because finally the Western world has arisen. They have tank killers, they have helicopter killers, and they have plane killers that they can give in large numbers. And I'm led to believe tonight and tomorrow there's going to be thousands in theater, and all of a sudden there won't be able to be a, a uh, Russian plane, helicopter, or tank anywhere on the battlefield, because... If you give enough javelins, uh, guess what? Uh, it's going to be very difficult for a helicopter or a plane at certain heights in order to attitudes in order to uh, fly. And so, and so I'm not so sure Russia at this point, entering almost the third week, can actually win this war unless they get over with quickly and the temperatures will start moderating. And Zelensky is a hero that uh, Putin has sent numerous assassination squads to kill. 
And, and the second act is when Russia actually finds it impossible to govern Ukraine effectively. You have 45 million brave uh, uh, human beings who will conduct a guerrilla partisan army confronting the Russians in terrorist raids and boycotts and demonstrations at every turn. They're going to find it's impossible to govern 40-some million Ukrainians who don't want to be governed. It's one thing if they submit. If they do not submit, and based upon everything you and I have seen, the Ukrainian people are not going to submit to Russian authority, in which case it'll be like the Red Dawn Part 3 with Patrick Swayze. It'll be impossible for the uh, Russian army to maintain themselves anywhere in these Ukrainian cities because they'll be constantly under attack. The third quarter, Phase 3, is that the anti-Putin uh, Putin, uh, sentiment in and around Russia itself will be so severe that the oligarchs and the Russian people will say, enough is enough, Vladimir, you're out of here. We can't take it anymore. It's one thing to say, a la Senator Graham, that uh, there's going to be a John Wilkes Booth moment. I think that's too much to ask for. But, but nonetheless, at the end of the day, the Russian people, we're going to talk later with Jay Ratliff on the sanctions about what impact that's truly going to have, that the Russian people want to live their lives greatly as you and I want to live our lives, Right. They're not communist anymore. If you listen to me the last several Sunday nights, only about 12% of the Russian people vote for communists. They want a middle-class life because they know one exists. This isn't the old Soviet Union between 1945 and 1991, that 46-year period. This is different because of social media. They don't want to live like that anymore. They don't. And these boycotts, a few hours ago, American Express said they're not going to clear any credit. MasterCard on Friday said it. Visa said it. Now the airlines have said that uh, that uh, there'll be no airline repair. They're out of the code-sharing system, so there'll be no travel. Brittany Griner should have traveled much earlier. She was caught with some hashish oil and a pipe in her luggage. The basketball player, the female basketball player, we'll see how that turns out. But but nonetheless, the, the fourth quarter of this is that the Russian people go back to a Boris Yeltsin approach, which is they want to join the civilized world. And uh, that's one way it could turn out. But but there is another scenario. Let's say the following takes place. Let's say over the next week or two or three, the Russian army is bled dry. That more uh, tank-killing missiles and helicopters, et cetera, killers are delivered. That more and more, more than, more than a 1,000 a day of Russian soldiers are killed. And suddenly Vladimir Putin finds himself in a quagmire that he can't adequately explain. The death count is rising and he's losing. Then he starts carpet bombing the cities is what he did in Aleppo, Syria. So it is very difficult. You need you need missiles, American missile technology to reach bombers at uh, 20 and 25,000 feet. Very difficult. Plus, those aren't, aren't exactly uh, munitions that have a zip code on them. You have no idea where they're going. And, and let's say that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, has the oligarchs uh, yelling, screaming at him. Uh, after a couple weeks, and these things go quickly in the real world, the Russian people can't get checks cleared. They don't get paid for their labor. There's no credit anywhere. The stock market is not open in, uh, in Russia. And uh, two weeks ago, you could have $1 equal to about 70 rubles. One equals 70. Today, the $1 equals 150 rubles, and it's going the other direction. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so Putin finds himself cornered. This is 
the idea of some American generals have said, you don't want to put Vladimir Putin in a corner. At that point, he may launch other attacks in Lithuania, the Baltics, Estonia, and Latvia. There's only about 6 million people who live in the Baltics in order to uh, disperse media coverage of what's happening in Ukraine. And at that point, he's invaded a NATO, NATO country. One thing you can say about the 101st and 82nd, the entire military strategy of this country has not been uh, coined to solve problems in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam for that reason. The, the American army has been created and coined to defeat the Russians on the plains of Central Europe. We have thousands of weapons that would take every Russian tank and every Russian helicopter and every Russian plane out of the sky quickly. Within a couple of weeks of any invasion into a NATO country, America responds. And that is why the American soldier is the greatest one in the world when allowed to win battles. And this one, they wouldn't be allowed to win. So what happens at that point? There sits Vladimir Putin cornered. His army is devastated. Nothing is flying, helicopters or otherwise. His tanks are all destroyed by the Abrams or by, uh, or by harpoons or other type uh, weapons. And there are no Russian tanks and there are no Russian planes and there are no Russian helicopters. The American Army and Air Force has devastated the Russian Army and he's cornered. What does he do then? Let's say there's 50,000 American soldiers in two or three locations in Poland and the Baltics. He unleashes tactical nuclear weapons and puts to death 50,000 American soldiers, sailors, Marines, and, and others. What happens? Then what do it? That's the scenario that they play out. Now what do we do? Then are we looking at thermonuclear war in exchange of ballistic missiles over about a 6,000 mile? I do not know. I do not know. I know I'm an American first. Trump was exactly right about America first. What do we do to save and salvage this great country with the kind of foolish, old, feckless leadership that we have? I, I, I don't know. We've been bamboozled by the media and elsewhere believing that we have a functioning federal government in Washington when obviously we do not. Joe Biden, I can't imagine if Trump was in the White House, what, what would be going on right now? I can't imagine how ugly it would be if we had Donald Trump in the White House and the media covered it. It would be unbelievable. It would be awful. But I do know that Joe Biden has killed coal. Joe Biden has killed the exploration of natural gas. Joe Biden has killed the exploration of oil. And we're producing about 2 million barrels of oil per day, less than we were three years ago under Donald Trump. 2 million per day, less. We, we use about 20 million barrels of oil a day, and we have to import about 2 million barrels. Number one from Canada, number two from Mexico, number three from Russia. So every day, we provide the Russians hundreds of millions of dollars in cash transfers in American dollars, which is funding the war that Putin has in the Ukraine. So how is that possible? That, that Vladimir Putin takes precedence over North Dakota, South Dakota, Louisiana, and Texas, and also Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. A lot of fracking going on here. They, he has shut down large tracts of energy production in this country and substitutes it, giving cash to Vladimir Putin. How is that possible? And he gets away with it. The media doesn't cover it objectively, doesn't cover it fairly. So uh, later on, we have Steve Turley will be here of Turley Talks. He's posted a column about comparing life uh, under, under Donald Trump and Joe Biden. 
Also, later on, we have uh, Jay Ratliff about what's happening and also Dr. John Lott, some great guests tonight to fill in some of the blanks. But I want to hear from you. Mike in Virginia will be first. We have four lines open now at 866-647-7337. 866-647-7337. What are the scenarios? What could happen? I know the Department of Defense and the State Department spends time going over various scenarios. What I just gave you was two scenarios. That uh, going down the tubes, Putin is going to invade a NATO country to see what happens and see if we respond. And the American Army and Air Force is coined and created to handle that exact problem. And our, our men and women will absolutely devastate the Russian Army. And then at what point does Vladimir Putin play the tactical nuclear card, which is battlefield, smaller nukes in Eastern Europe to change the argument, change the battlefield? Then what does America? That's what we're facing. I am America first, not America alone, but America first. And I have great respect for the Ukrainian people, how they're fighting like warrior poets. They're like William Wallace. They're fighting an incredible way. And, and they might have a stalemate at one point or another. But more likely, Vladimir Putin will push it until he obliterates the country he supposedly loves because he does not want to be with them. Never before in American history, and never in the future, I don't think, will two democracies ever go to war. War is not the answer. And what's happening now is disgusting. Give me your scenarios. Give me your thoughts. And if a line becomes available, 866-647-7337. 22 minutes. Billy Cunningham, the great American. And uh, we'll see what happens. Or cyber attacks is what's coming up, allegedly. Cyber attacks is what's being discussed tonight. What's going to happen when Putin seeks to shut down American power stations, American nuclear power plants like the Colonial Pipeline? What happens if he shuts down the New York Stock Exchange? What do we do? What is our reaction? I have no idea. I mean, the cat's out of the bag, and Vladimir Putin is going to be in a corner real soon. And I'm looking to my left about major Ukrainian cities face ongoing assaults. Imagine the brutality of the war criminal Vladimir Putin who's purposely killing thousands and thousands of innocent men, women, and children because a country does not want to get back into his uh, left-wing embrace. It's an incredible thing. It's a murder-suicide. If I can't have you, I will destroy you and no one. But that, that suicide's going to happen politically and physically to Vladimir Putin at some point. Let's get some calls in here. Let's go to Marcus in Canada first. And Marcus in Canada, welcome to the Bill Cunningham Show. And Marcus, how are you? I'm quite fine, sir. I just wanted to say, Mr. Cunningham, I accept all of your reasons why the United States shouldn't get involved directly. God, I wish it were otherwise. But I keep thinking about the Europeans. You know, since 1917, the United States has bailed out the Europeans at least three times, World War One, World War Two, the Cold War. And you're still keeping Europe safe. What, are, what have the Europeans been doing to allow the situation oh. to get this way? Their inaction is, is much like with Czechoslovakia and Poland before World War II. And what they've been doing is buying the gas and, and, uh, and oil from, United, from, from yeah. Russia and making, making Russia rich. And I, I just find the Europeans are just really disappointing. Marcus, that's a great comment because uh, the European uh, the Europeans have as much natural gas and oil products as we do, and they have failed to use those products under their own soil under the mistaken impression that if we buy products from uh, from the Soviet Union slash Russia, that somehow that will bring them into the family of nations and they will change their behavior. And each time 
the European countries almost uniformly have gone the hard left and spent their money not on armaments, not on protecting themselves, but on socialism, which is the way most American cities are going nonetheless. But they have failed to defend themselves. Now, once again, they look to America and say, travel over here five to 8,000 miles and help us and do things for us that we should have done for ourselves. And Germany, I would hope, which is the dominant country, of course, in Europe, should understand that uh, to hold a, a snake by its tail this long, it's going to turn around and bite you. And at some point, they had the ability, 10 years ago, they made the decision to get rid of most of the nuclear power plants, get rid of their coal-fired power plants, get rid of their natural gas, LNG, et cetera. And they decided to strike a deal with, with uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was the Soviets, now it's the Russians, and it's coming back. Uh, the chickens are coming home to roost for them. They cannot defend themselves. Except for America, I am certain that Vladimir Putin, if America did not exist or if we did not want to participate, he would take his armies and march all the way to Normandy. And there's nothing in Holland or France or uh, Poland or the Baltics, nothing in Germany that would stop the Russian army without America's direct involvement. So, Marcus, that's a great comment. Once again, we're going to save European ass when they refuse to save themselves. Yeah, I agree totally, sir. Thank you for your call. And, Marcus, that, that is a great point because you know, I look at it this way, is that they should have seen long time ago that it put many other Europeans to work using their own resources, right? Same arguments in America right now. We elected a leftist government uh, uh, believing that uh, green energy would trump survivability. America is as green now as any big nation on the face of the earth. And every year we get more green with less carbon in the atmosphere. We're doing a great job. We're governed completely by various uh, EPA organizations. Oil companies, natural gas, LNGs, and coal miners are sued all the time. And so when we produce energy here, it is produced correctly. When it's produced in Russia, they have no friggin' standards at all for the production of anything. So Joe Biden knows that when we buy oil and natural gas products from Russia, there's no environmental standards, and we're giving cash to one of the worst regimes in the world in order to keep the, the Ukraine uh, conflict ongoing, that we're paying for the weapons used to kill Ukrainians, and it's coming from the American dollar. And Joe Biden and Jen Psaki, who's simply a stooge, a reflection of what Joe Biden tries to tell her to do, let's face it, they know what's going on. All these uh, sanctions are interesting, but to t tell some, uh, some Russian you can't use your visa card as if uh, Vladimir Putin is charging the war on his MasterCard makes no sense. To be effective, these sanctions must bite, and they must involve the fact that we have to unleash the energy giant in this country to become energy sufficient and self-reliant, which is what we were two or three years ago, and that we're not today. It is ridiculous. And, and the Europeans, but for us, would not even exist. After World War I, the Kaiser would have won. World War II, Adolf Hitler would have won. And now here we are again because they don't use their own energy resources, of which they have abundant, and buy it from the Russians to have a more green environment. We see where that gets a, a howitzer aimed at their head. Let's continue now with Alex in the great state of California. Alex in California, uh, yes, welcome. Uh, Alex, go ahead. Yes, it is the first time caller here. Um, I respect what your beliefs are, but actually you need to go there, and you need to have friends of mine that were from Ukraine that have left Ukraine years ago because the, the government that was placed in there 
didn't give them that much of a great economy like the, the media says. Right. Now, I agree with you. Now, some of these people didn't even get the chance to vote. The government that was placed in there came from American interest and from a very rich billionaire that I really hate. George Soros. I'm a Jew and I know about the story. Exactly. Now, what did he do to his own race back in World War II? Think about it. Yep. Now, you know, a lot of people don't know what's going on. There's a lot of people that live outside these big cities that don't like the government. But for some crazy reason, they really have never been there. I was in the Marine Corps. I've been thrown rocks at by countries that we were supposed to help out, by even Europeans that hated me after hated us when we were on vacation because we had a Marine Corps logo in Paris. Now, I met Rus- we met Russian sailors, Russian Marines. They treated us like family. They treated us with shrimp and vodka. And believe it or not, something's wrong with the media, with the propaganda they show in the movies and TV. Uh, I'm telling you right now, I'd rather trust a Russian Marine, a Russian soldier, a Russian sailor than a Middle Eastern soldier and, and somebody from the NATO countries who smoke pot, who smoke pot, wear effing earrings, and I know they're not disciplined enough. When the Russians run through them, they're going to run through them. If they have to fight NATO, they don't stand against the Russian Marines or Russian sailors. They actually believe these Russian Marines and sailors wanted to be like us. And when I tell people that, they just shake their head because they know that somehow the truth comes out when you've seen it yourself. Uh, now, Alex, now hold on. I, I want to hold on. I, I agree with 90% of what you're saying. Zelensky has performed magnificently the last 13 days. Before that, he jailed his political opponents. He jailed journalists, Ukrainian people. He was somewhat popular before this, but let's face it. Uh, I, uh, everyone who did, looked at it said Ukraine cannot form or join NATO because they're not really a democratic country at all because of all the corruption. And uh, the payoffs and the bribes, including Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, was bribed by Zelensky. In fact, Zelensky's government and oil and gas interests gave the Hunter Biden and the Biden family millions and millions of dollars. And so I've read some stuff about Joe Biden being bought and paid for by Zelensky. And that is absolutely true. And it's in the laptop. It became public two weeks before our national election, and the national media completely ignored it because it was so injurious to Joe Biden. If the media covered the laptop of Hunter Biden, and which you talked about the big guy being his dad, Joe Biden, getting millions of dollars, and Joe Biden's brother, Jim Biden, from the oil and gas interests in the Ukraine, Joe Biden would not be the president right now, and the Ukraine would not have been invaded by Vladimir Putin because Donald Trump would have been in the White House. And so up until... No, look at it, look at it. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I, I can understand everything you're saying. That's correct. Zelensky did do drugs. Say. I think we caught it. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I understand the sentiment. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Zelensky Ukraine government until about 13 days ago was not an example of a true democracy. Because of the way it was so corrupt and so wrong. Those at the top benefited... Everyone else did not benefit. And so I get all that. And they paid off the Biden family. And I, I can't. It's incredible to me that with Zelensky being in the news and Ukraine being topic one, two, three, four and five, that uh, 
there's not American media coverage of the payoffs and the monies given to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Jim Biden through oil and gas interest in Ukraine. It's like a non-story. I can imagine only if Donald Trump had gotten money directly from uh, Zelensky and oil and gas interest in the Ukraine, along with both of his boys, Eric and Don Jr., if they all got all this money and this was going on, that would be the only story in this country about how Donald Trump was bribed by Zelensky. That'd be the only story. But because it's the Democrats and Joe Biden, there's like no coverage at all except in the New York Post. That's about it. it, it it's, it's incredible. And the money's paid by the Chinese communists to Joe Biden, Jim Biden, and Hunter Biden. Also incredible monies, millions of dollars. And that's also, again, a non-story in this country because it would have helped Donald Trump and it hurts the Biden uh, family, all of them. And uh, New York Post is doing great work on this. That's the only newspaper in America who seems to care a bit about the millions of dollars paid by Ukraine to the Biden family. It's un it's unbelievable. Take one more call and then uh, we'll uh, watch your language a little bit there. Then we'll let's go to Ron, California. Ron in California, welcome to the Bill hey. Cunningham Show. Ron, go ahead. Hey, yes, uh, Bill, it's good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Okay, I can do this in one minute and uh, we can solve this whole thing. I mean, uh, this isn't no bad pigs or no missile crisis. The missiles are already there. But we, he just pretty much, it's an imminent threat. And he is threatening nuclear war. So we need to go to a wartime powers act or invoke something. But the fake news that it has to start reporting immediately and start saying this, it should be treason if they start lying. But all Americans that are doing business with Russia have to cease and desist. Every bit of money, we have to cancel all the checks, stop all the money going back and forth. We have to completely, no import, no export, completely clip these guys from uh, uh, Americans from doing any business with with Russia. I don't care about the Ukraine. I don't care about the coulda, shoulda, woulda with Trump and everything. But right now, this is pretty much an emergency. He's threatening critical, nuclear critical. war. You know, Ron, and, that's a great yeah. point. I think McDonald's. And uh, any American business in Russia needs to shut down. We have a chance now to put so much pre pressure on Putin, he may change his behavior. At some point, when the military losses pile up and he's in a corner, many say that's exactly the time that he would use nuclear weapons, at least in the theaters in and around uh, Poland. And, and to have, and, right. to, uh, and, and so we have to give maximum pressure now hoping it changes his behavior to save a cuban missile crisis and he, he said putin putin said four or five hours ago he's going to militarize cuba he's going to put missiles in cuba here we go that's putin here we and i can't wait for the for, for the reaction to the cyber attacks that we're going to feel now's the time to maximize the pressure to stop the beginning of world war three when you won't be able to hear my voice because america as we know it won't exist anymore it's done. And so we've okay. got to, Ron, that's a great point. we got to do that. Let me say one more thing. Let me say one more thing. I know we have the ability. We need to jam up all the communications. If all those soldiers can't talk with command posts, we got to jam all the Everything. 5G, 4G, all cellular, uh, CB radios, Everything. Uh, ham radios, VHS. Whatever it is. Jam it. Jam it. 
And in any property or any money in this country, we need to seize it. Now he's talking to Cuba. We got to cut them up completely. Not a red cent goes back and forth. No import, export. Anything Russian in this country in the ports and the shipping ports, seize it right now. But all Americans that are doing private business with Russia, it should be treason if they keep continue to do business. And we need to keep all their money right here, seize it. And the fake news to get treason if they don't go on the news and tell all Americans this is very important. Stop all your business with Russia. Don't talk to them. Don't answer the phone. Don't communicate. No, no emails. Nothing. Nothing. Ron, thank you. We got to run. And uh, it is critical to do this because uh, and one thing that has to happen is that Joe Biden needs to step up and say, I know those on the left side of my party may disagree. But this is a deadly serious matter that I'm confronting. And America, for the next three years, will adopt the policies of the Donald Trump administration and drill, baby, drill to get the markets down to take money away from Russia. And do not give them a penny beginning tomorrow. The the oil card must be played. And Joe Biden must overrule Kamala Harris and, and others. Na- even Nancy Pelosi says no more Russian oil. It's got to happen now. This is deadly serious. We have the most foolish, feckless leadership we've had since Jimmy Carter making important decisions. Well, let's continue and watch your language. News Radio 700 WLW. Available anywhere you go on the iHeartRadio app. Downloading. Downloaded now. by Choice Hotels. Econolodge and Roadway Inn Hotels are serving up double points for every qualifying stay. Book at choicehotels.com. Now, here's the man who's been recognized as radio's best, the recipient of not one but two prestigious Marconi Awards for his broadcast excellence, the one and only Bill Cunningham. I'm Billy Cunningham coming up in about 35 minutes or so. Steve Turley, Turley Talks. He compares uh, the policies toward the Ukraine of Donald Trump Versus those of uh, Joe Biden. Of course, he finds Joe Biden's policies lacking. Then about an hour or so, we're going to have your friend and mine, Dr. John Lott here. One of the things that totalitarian regimes always do is disarm the population. That's even more reason why we should be fully armed in this country. Dr. John Lott will discuss that and so much more. And also later on is Jay Ratliff about the economic sanctions and the boycotts. What's happening to the airlines? What's happening to the MasterCard, the Visa? About six hours ago, Sunday afternoon, American Express announced they're not going to clear any credit. So the banks are not open. The credit cards aren't open, don't work. The Russian stock exchange is closed. Paychecks aren't going to cover over the past uh, next week or two. This thing's going to metastasize. Never before have these kinds kinds of sanctions and protests and boycotts happen against any one country. We're all interconnected. This isn't the days of the old Soviet Union. And th- this is going to be a horrible domestic problem for Vladimir Putin. It is somewhat sad that Russians themselves have must, uh, must suffer because of Vladimir Putin, who doesn't use a credit card for any purpose. And the oligarchs are going to have trillions of dollars seized from them. And so I don't know how this thing turns out. I'm an American 
America first kind of a guy. We've got to look out for American interests. We must survive this thing. This has written into it the same dangers as the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we don't have John F. Kennedy and uh, advised by Dwight D. Eisenhower. We don't have them involved and Dean Rusk. What we have involved are feckless, foolish individuals such as Joe Biden, who has monetized his relationship with Ukraine. I just said it, and it's true. Read the, uh, read the uh, New York Post. Books have been written about the monetization of uh, the Democratic Party with the Ukraine, and it, it was a corrupt, it was a rotten place to be. Zelensky's performance the last 13 days has been magnificent. But before that, he paid off the Biden family for uh, support, and uh, Joe Biden did not give sufficient support. And by the way, one uh, Reuters indicates that approximately 95% of Russian military firepower is now in Ukraine, absent, of course, the nuclear weapons. So uh, Russia is all in. 95% of Russia's land forces are now committed to uh, defeating the Ukraine by any means necessary, including using cluster bombs and fuel air devices. All in. Those are weapons of mass destruction. And uh, right now, uh, Vladimir Putin and all of his generals should be indicted in The Hague for war, war crimes. It's got to happen immediately. We know what's going on. And he is a war criminal. And uh, Zelensky, before that, was a uh, bribable uh, bureaucrat. The last 13 or 14 days, uh, uh, Vladimir uh, Zelensky has been magnificent in his performances. Absolutely magnificent. So uh, let's continue. It's awful what's going on. Blinken has no clue. We have the worst foreign policy team in the history of this country, one that would make the Vietnam era blush. From all that I read from Military Times, the American Army has been configured to fight the upcoming war against Russia and defeat them quickly. There will not be, if you confront the American Army and Air Force in Eastern Europe, there will not be any Russian aircraft left in the air, nor a tank or armored vehicle on the ground. The American military was created for this purpose, and they will be obliterated. Then what happens to Vladimir Putin? He's got 6,000 nukes. What happens? That is the fear that I have. Well, let's continue with your calls. If a line ever becomes available, 866-647-7337. Coming up later is Steve Turley of Turley Talks. Also, Dr. John Lott and also Jay Ratliff and more. Let's, uh, Mike's been there for quite a while. Let's go to Mike in Virginia. Mike in Virginia, welcome Hello, to the Bill County. You- yeah, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Bill, uh, this has been a great day here in Virginia Beach. Bill, I want to put you in the Oval Office as president for just a moment, and uh, I want you to take another look at Zelensky in Ukraine. Uh, As the president of the United States, of course, you have been briefed on the Monroe Doctrine. Now, what Zelensky has done is violate the Monroe Doctrine for Russia that has been in place since before Vladimir Putin was born. Now, here is the equivalent of what Zelensky has done by inviting or by asking to be uh, included in NATO. He has done the equivalent of putting or asking 100,000 Chinese troops to uh, position themselves on the southern border of Canada 
and another 100,000 Chinese Communist troops to position themselves on the northern border of Mexico. Now, with Bill Cunningham in the White House, under those circumstances, are you not going to wreck both Canada and Mexico to prevent the Chinese from getting a foothold in those two countries? Well, I'm not sure there's the Monroe Doctrine in the Ukraine. And uh, the Monroe Doctrine, of course, 1823, was violated in 1962. And Vladimir Putin said this afternoon he's going to militarize once again Cuba, which we have to stop at all costs. You, you know, Mike, this thing's getting out of control because of the leadership that we have in Washington. There was no reason for it to come to this part at all, uh, at all. But it did come to here because we have a feckless fool in the White House without an energy policy except one that benefits Russia. And secondly, having this thing, the troops on the borders of the Ukraine started to form in March of last year. Then was the time to make sure they had one or 2,000 javelins and stingers, and they could have easily have defeated the initial uh, surge uh, of the Russians. The Russians are a are a people that have been misused by its leadership since at least 1917, before that with Nicholas II. And, Mike, I'm concerned about America. And I don't know how we get to a situation where we have a good outcome unless Putin wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to declare victory, I'm withdrawing all my soldiers before it's too late. If that happens, we're in business. But if he keeps destroying, it's almost like a Middle Ages siege of a city, destroy the major cities at some point he breaks through in kiev and he destroys kiev that beautiful city and then he has the soldiers there and then the insurgency begins over the next one to two years and guess what's going to happen there's going to be thousands of russian soldiers killed and it goes on for a year or two or three and then what happens if vladimir putin walks into a nato country the baltics only have six million citizens they're indefensible at this point or he goes into poland goes into romania and all of a sudden, we're challenged. he's challenged by the American aircraft, which is the greatest in the world in the air systems that are integrated. And we, he wipe, we wipe from the sky every Russian bomber and plane and helicopter. There's no Russian tank. And Vladimir Putin is disgraced. What does he do next with 6,000 nukes? That is exactly what worries me the most. Let's go to Joe in New Hampshire and thousands of others. Joe in New Hampshire, welcome to the Bill Cunningham Show. And Joe, go ahead. Yeah, hello, Mr. Cunningham. I haven't spoken with you for nearly two years. Um, I felt compelled to call tonight. I just have a few things I want to get out there. You've given a 100% thorough analysis of what's going on with the Biden crime family, the corruption in the Ukraine, not to mention the mayor, mayor of Moscow's wife oh, oh. giving Hunter Biden $3.5 million at least. Okay, yeah, hold on. On and, that point, uh, could you imagine if the mayor's wife in Moscow, Russia, gave uh, Melania Trump $3 million. Can you imagine if in uh, maybe Don Jr.'s laptop was his own information that the Biden, that same facts applied to Trump and his family? What would happen? Donald, the President oh. Trump and oh. his family oh. would not only be in prison, they might be executed like the Rosenbergs in the late 40s. Well, how many stories no, for- have you seen on this angle the past 14 days? How many stories? Other well, nothing, than because New they're York Post keep protecting because they're all they're all controlled by Marx Marxist entities. The people controlling Biden and the White House are all Marxists. So they're not going to go against Russia. It's Marxism. They're trying to uh, be sympathetic. But here's the thing, Bill, the difference between 
Cuba in 1962 and our leadership today is just that. The leadership in 1962 got us out of it. Can you imagine President Biden and his crew that's around him now being in charge of our country back in 1962? One of two things would have happened. Nuclear war, America done, or he would have been the first president to surrender. He might have surrendered to Cuba and Khrushchev, and they would have paid him off with another two or three hundred million dollars for the Biden crime family. I mean, that's how serious it is. But our uh, media is corrupt. It's all Marxism at its worst. Now, Bill, consider this. I know it's way out there and Biden and his crew would never do it. But I think Trump took a lot of heat for saying, what good is NATO to the United States? They're not paying their fair share. We're paying for 90 percent of it. And what good is it? Let them go on their way. England has nuclear. France has nuclear. If the United States just withdrew from NATO tomorrow and let Europe and like I say, France and England has nuclear. Let them figure it out for themselves, and we would be at least a fighting chance that we wouldn't have a nuclear exchange with Russia. Well, lastly, right Joe, now, this I'll say this. For a nuclear exchange, yeah, it, this it's is where headed, we're headed right now. It's headed that way, and how, how to stop it when we have leadership like we have. The only person reporting on this is Miranda Devine of the New York Post. She has story after story after story about about what's going on, and the rest of the media doesn't want to cover it. They should have covered the Hunter Biden laptops and the connection to the Ukraine two weeks before the election. They refused to do that because it would have got Donald Trump elected. They didn't want that to occur. I'm watching what's going on, and I'm thinking we are slowly, step by step by step, being conditioned by the media to accept war with Russia which could result in a thermonuclear missile exchange of 12,000 nukes destroying the entire world and we're supposed to uh, we're supposed to support a no-fly zone that would hasten that. I want to do things to back down from the precipice, America first and, and let Europe handle European problems and their policies have put themselves in the position they're in right now. And so why America needs to have it itself destroyed with a 6,000 missile nuclear exchange with Russia is beyond fat. I don't get it. That's what's at stake right well, here. And you, the Joe, United you're right. States should withdraw. From, they should withdraw from NATO tomorrow. Let the chips fall what they may to protect the people of the United States from a nuclear exchange, which is the end of us. That's definitely what should happen, in my opinion. It won't happen because you have the Biden crime family surrounded by Marxists. And really, Bill, I don't think there's going to be election this November. They'll declare martial law, which means no elections. The Democrats stay in power. But let's pray. We need to pray I, a lot. I, I prayed this morning at Mass. I lit a $5 candle. For the people of uh, people of the Ukraine, I, I lit a ten dollar candle for the United States of America. We need the best political leadership we've ever had, and we have the worst. And we have a compliant media that is pounding the drums of war to prepare us for war with Russia. And I, I never had a sense in Afghanistan or Iraq or you know fifty years ago Vietnam that somehow the Vietnamese or the Afghans or the Iraqis would somehow destroy the United States of America. It never was gonna happen. But when you go to war with a ruthless, godless mass murderer like Vladimir Putin and he finds himself maybe at some point in the, in the near future up against the wall, his armies are defeated, there's unrest in the streets of Moscow and St. Petersburg, his only way out is to use local nuclear weapons in Eastern Europe to devastate Poland, the Baltics, 
Uh, would he do that? Absolutely he would do that. You know, I don't believe much of what Fiona Hill says, but she says the same thing. And that, then what does America do if we lose 100,000 airmen and soldiers in Eastern Europe and one fell swoop? What do we do? To, to me, this is deadly serious and it's frightening. We, we need the best diplomatic and political we, leadership we've ever had in this country right now. And instead, we're funding the war in Ukraine by importing from Russia 650,000 barrels of oils a day, oil a day because Biden wants to play footsie with AOC. He'd rather get oil from Russia than from North and South Dakota. That's how sick Joe Biden is. Let's continue. 20. All right, Billy Cunningham, the great American, of course, uh, one of the individuals that writes some of the great columns on what's happening in Ukraine is uh, Steve Turley. He's got one posted a day or two ago about Trump crushes Biden on Ukraine. Trump crushes Biden on Ukraine. And this column is wonderful because it gives a little bit of history where we're going to go from here, especially with the attack on the nuclear power plant. And Steve Turley, welcome again to the Bill Cunningham Show. And, and uh, Steve, how are you? I'm great, Bill. Thanks so much for having me back. Love it. You know, one thing that uh, the media will not point out, I want to get in your, your column, which I think is fabulous, that we hear that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline had to be uh, canceled because that would hurt Russia. However, on his first day in office, Joe Biden got rid of the Keystone Pipeline in America and also took away the ability to find new gas and oil. So if the Nord Stream uh, 2 pipeline was, was spiked by uh, Biden because that would hurt Russia, look what he did to America. Does the media right. ever make that connection? Oh, of course not. The, the, the America last media, of course not. No. <laughs> no, no, no. It is, uh, it's tragic uh, in many respects because um, – you know, the, the good sense of the American people knew this. They knew uh, what's the latest poll that came out. I, I started my article on it, if I recall. It's around 62% of American voters believed that there was no way Putin would be doing what he's doing if President Trump was in office. And there's a very, very good evidential argument, evidence-based argument for that. I think, I think Americans sense that. But I think that we can we can flesh that out precisely what you're talking about. I mean, we have to remember Trump Trump's energy policy was not just a boon for jobs. I mean, we had the, some of the lowest unemployment ever in the energy sector. Uh, it also had the effect of crashing Russian oil prices. Yes. And that that's so key because Russia is a lot of people don't know this. Well, we're about to find out at the pumps. Russia is an exporting superpower. They're number one in fuel exports, number one in food exports, wheat. And by the way, Ukraine is number two when it comes to wheat exports. Uh, they're huge in fertilizers, all this sort of stuff. And without fertilizer, you don't grow food as well. And without the food growth, prices go up on produce uh, and cattle and meats and you name it. So uh, with what Trump did is with an America first policy, he was able to put in place almost a totalizing independence for America in terms of food production, oil production, gas, you name it. And then what that did is it put both the Middle East and Russia in a bind. They saw their prices drop dramatically, and then they lost the kind of leverage that they have, particularly over Europe. Seventy percent of Europe's fuel comes from Russia. They lost that. And, uh, and then when you combine that with Trump and the way he took on China – 
the way he uh, hammered North Korea and actually brought him to the negotiating table, the way he, he blew apart Soleimani, the Iranian general, um, yeah, and ISIS. There was no way Putin was going to move anything like that uh, as he did has, has done. The deterrence effect was there economically as well as politically. There's just no way it was going to happen. You know, the State of Union address last week, if he would have said something, this is Biden, that, you know, we had a policy based upon peacetime. We had a policy that was accepted by the Democratic Party. We had a policy that would wean people off fossil fuels. But everything has changed. We're now in a war, basically, directly or indirectly. And if the liberals have their way, which is what they want, Steve Turley, they want 5 to $6 a gallon gasoline right now because it'll dissuade people from driving uh, cars with gas, and then it makes them go into electrical cars that cost $75,000. Wouldn't it have been great if last week if uh, Biden would have said, you know what, this is terrible what's happening. And, and I know a lot don't want to hear this, but it's time to open up the spigot and let America become energy independent again. I'm going to reauthorize the Keystone Pipeline. I want more drilling to take place. Drill, baby, drill. What would have happened to his popularity then? Oh, it would have gone through the roof. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're getting data now that's finding that the Democratic Party is fracturing. Uh, particularly under like woke issues, environmentalist issues, CRT issues, uh, where when they're asked a question, do you support, you know, say this kind of radical environmental issue, they go 50-50. Half Democrats say yeah, half say no. Nah. You know, the Bill Mars of the world and all that. Right. I don't know about that. Look at, I mean, two of the, the some of the more popular kind of populist voices that are emerging are uh, like Russell Brand on YouTube, uh, as well as Jimmy Dore. These guys are on the left, but they see the reality of what's happening here. And what's so fascinating is that the more the Democrats push the woke agenda, the more they split. At the same time, the more united Republicans get. So when you ask, you know, Republicans, should we have these environmental policies? Should we teach CRT, transgenderism, whatever? 99% say no way. So this is how Yunkin was able to crush Terry McAuliffe, because Yunkin pushed these woke policies. I mean, he put them front and center and saying we're going to fight against these. And he put McAuliffe on his heels because he knew, McAuliffe knew he was having to defend issues that were splitting his base and uniting uh, Youngkin's base. So had 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 Biden done a 180, he'd probably have 60 percent approval right now. And right now, and and actually stick with it for the rest of his term because this is going to be a long term struggle. As far as the cry from the radical leftists and some neocons that we need a no fly zone. Uh, I was watching Don Lemon CNN a, a night or two ago. Don Lemon, who's a fool and a clown talked about a no-fly zone, it's time for America to get involved in Ukraine. Can you imagine what happens on a no-fly zone over Ukraine when American planes are shooting down Russian planes? Well, isn't that World War III? Oh, oh <laughs> absolutely. Um, it, is, uh, it is beyond, uh, it's beyond absurd, and, and it's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I, I think it was the Supreme Commander of NATO um, uh, what's his name, Stoltenberg, um, the, the general secretary of NATO, he, he flew over to Poland to stop the Poles from offering MiG-29 aircraft to Ukrainians. Uh, they were allowing, uh, they wanted to let uh, Ukrainian pilots who escaped uh, to, to come over to Poland, fly the planes out over to Ukraine, and, and Stoltenberg stopped that 
in its tracks it's because he said this is going to lead to war. It's no way around it. And NATO, NATO has absolutely committed itself uh, to not going to war over this, which, of course, raises the whole question, why the hell were they talking about uh, Ukrainian membership in NATO in the first place if nobody's even willing to go and, and fight for it? And again, that's what Putin cited is that which provoked him. It was he, he treated it as a reverse uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, oh. where NATO was now on the borders of Russia, and that was not going to happen. Tulsi Gabbard uh, tweeted that out. This could have easily been prevented if Western leaders just took what Putin has been saying since 2007, the, the Munich uh, uh, Accords out there, um, that he will not ever, ever allow NATO uh, military on his border. And so, yeah, and now, and all, what is Don Lemon basically doing? Well, oh. Instead of that kind of reflection, saying, "All right, well, what did you know? What do we may have done to kind of provide?" I mean, this is ultimately Putin's responsibility. But what do we? What did we do to, to provoke some of these things? Instead of doing that, no, he wants to go full blown World War Three. Has this Lindsey Graham who's calling for him to be assassinated, which oh. is an act of war. So, now you can imagine <laughs> these, if these I, guys are crazy. A U.S. senator in South Carolina is urging the assassination of a foreign oh. leader. I mean, come right. on, man, come on, right? A G, a G20, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, a, G, a, a G20 uh, uh, nation at that. I mean, it's, and, and I forget, I think it was on it was one of these uh, very interesting discussion I was listening to uh, where they pointed out, you know, right after the Cuban missile, uh, right after the assassination of John, JFK, uh, for about a week, there was some very serious nerves that if it were found that the Russians did it, that would lead to uh, World War III, especially against the backdrop of the Cuban Missile Crisis. So this, this, I mean, this is what I mean. I think our permanent political class is, has lost control of this. Uh, things have gotten absurd. I've been very fascinated about what kind of world is going to emerge from the ashes of this tragic and horrific situation. And unfortunately, I think from from our vantage point, where I I'm hoping that a uh, President Trump reset in 2024 can really help with this. But unfortunately, the world is going to become uh, much more alienated from the West. Much, you know, with the rise of China, the rise of a, a a independent Russia that's decoupling itself from Western powers um, as we're as they're canceling an entire country, basically, and the rise of India as well. For heaven's sakes, the Biden administration is now threatening India with sanctions. It's like, guys, do you understand what you're doing here? No, you're not alienating them. You're alienating us. That's the risk, at least. So as Victor Davis Hansen says, um, we rest, risk uh, under a Biden-like regime being a very powerful nation but with very little influence on the uh, geopolitical stage. Steve Turley, what part did the uh, policies of Joe Biden last summer in Afghanistan and the comments of General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley testified under oath. He was asked, what are the two, what, what are some of the biggest challenges, the biggest confrontations you have in the military he said number one is white supremacy and number two we need more green military bases and so if, if you're vladimir putin and, and you watch america's top general talk about white supremacy and white privilege and then he talks about green energy they have defense department identifiers and defense department mitigators and so these identifiers go into a military base we have about 700 military bases all over the world and, and they identify a lack of green energy being used. And then they, and then they bring in the mitigators to actually correct somehow what the military base is not doing 
for, uh, for the environment. So we have white supremacy and we have a green environment. What does a uh, Vladimir Putin look at that? Add on top of it, Afghanistan, in which 13 soldiers are put in an incredible location and murdered. When you look at what America's response is going to be militarily, what role do the bad policies of Biden cause this indirectly to occur? Oh, I, I again, I think it's inordinate. I, I don't think we can. I don't think we can over. Uh, we can't exaggerate. We have to remember that after the fall of Kabul and was it uh, August fifteenth, if I recall, um, the world basically abandoned us for a little bit. I mean, NATO was pretty bitter. NATO was very bitter. You know, the, what what should have been a a withdrawal process where other NATO countries that lost their their boys in that battle and. Uh, in the, in the war over the last 20 years, you know, we would have helped uh, to, to first evacuate them and, you know, a very steady process, maybe keep some, a few troops, the Air Force Base and the like. And by all means, we would be the last uh, Western uh, feet off that ground. Yes. The United States went in first, we leave last, you know, kind of thing. Instead of doing that, we just left. Yeah. We just pick up. We, we just picked up and laughed, and that, and NATO felt very betrayed. NATO nations felt very betrayed. So, for at least a month or so after that, I mean, Britain turned to Russia, ironically, for their quote uh, Russia's quote moderating influence over the Taliban. Um, we saw Italy and France do the same thing, turning to Russia. Uh, China, of course, um, was uh, looking to Russia to make sure that the situation to get out of hand with the Taliban. And Vladimir Putin himself issued a statement. It was very fascinating. He said, look, we've had experience, our own hard experience with Afghanistan, because we had an atheistic regime that did not understand the spiritual resolve of this people. And he said the United States just committed the same uh, blunder, the same mistake. And he, you know, and what he was getting at is, Acts like flying the rainbow flag uh, at the uh, at the military base in Kabul. The New York Times had a whole article about how important the uh, rainbow flag was for changing Afghanistan's culture, making it more accepting and and inclusive and so forth. And Putin basically said, "Dude, you just you you got what you deserved. You don't understand these people. You're living in a whole different universe." from Taliban, you know, influenced people. Also keep in mind, too, it's interesting, the average age of your typical uh, uh, Afghanistan citizen is 18. Mm. Our average age is 38. Britain's is 40. There's this 18, that, which, me, which means, you know, a majority of the Afghan people never lived under the Taliban. You know, so, so they, they didn't see any problem with the Taliban. They didn't know any better. And so all of this is – it was a just a total and complete disaster – and it turned the world, ironically, more in, on dependence on Putin, which uh, combined that with the energy dependence, 70 percent of energy of Europe coming from Russia. Put that all together, Putin saw himself as having tremendous power and tremendous leverage to basically do what he wants within his own sphere. You know, lastly, Steve Turley, I would say this, that over the last several weeks and months, America has transferred to Russia itself Billions and billions and billions of dollars since about 10 percent of our energy needs come from Russia and they follow no environmental standards at all. 
unlike America that has all the environmental standards. And that 10%, that money goes directly in the pockets of Vladimir Putin, which funds the activities in Ukraine. And instead of having pipe, pipe he'll shut down pipelines in, uh, in Russia to Germany, Nord Stream 2. And he also shuts down the pipelines here. In one case, it hurts Russia. In the other case, it helps, since liberals believe that $5 a gallon gasoline in America is a good thing. You and I may right. think it's a bad thing. They think it's good because it right. pushes more Americans to buy EVs, to buy, to buy more Ford and Chevrolet and uh, Elon Musk products. It, it forces us to do that. But in reality, if we were fully independent energy-wise... And we were keeping millions of new American jobs, and we had $2 a gallon gasoline. That would hurt Vladimir Putin more than sanctions, uh, sanctions against oligarchs on their yachts. we got to go there. <laughs> would you agree that the yachts are interesting, but it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. It's all a show. And that's really, in many ways, what the whole coverage has been. The real war is happening in the Donbass region. That's, that's where the so-called Russian cauldron is, is, uh, is surrounding about 60,000 Ukrainian troops. While that's all happening, our, uh, our media elite are all hanging out you know, uh, in Kiev, and they're, you know, they're cosmopolitan elites out there. So nothing's going on in Kiev. It's, it's all happening uh, elsewhere. I, no, they're so aloof. It's all for a show. Unfortunately, I say this with no glee, given this, the, the, the tremendous uh, levity of the situation. But, uh, no, there's no question. I mean, they, 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 uh, they, uh, they sanctioned Vladimir Putin, Putin personally. Number one, nobody knows where he no. stores his wealth. I mean, there's been CIA operations to figure it out. They haven't figured it out, number one. Number two, as a, as a diplomat, he can travel anywhere he wants in the world. He sure. has diplomatic immunity. So it's all for show. It's absolute nonsense. You're absolutely right. What, what we need to do, and again, I'm glad I'm hearing it a lot more, we need to ramp up energy independence. We need to have America-first policy. We need yes. to become a civilization state once again. And, uh, and if we do that, we're massively independent, massively strong, and culturally confident. That's how you keep a crazy world stable. And yeah. we're not going to have that as long as Bumbling Biden's in office. Steve Turley, you're a great American. Turley talks, and once again... Welcome. Thank you to the bill. Thank you very much for coming on the Bill Cunningham show. Thank you very much. It's my honor, Bill. Thank